welcome to episode 10. This episode is super juicy. It's with my dear friend, Emily. We actually met in a business mastermind. One of the biggest investments I've made to date. And we talk about our experience being mixed ancestry and also navigating the predominantly white coaching industry. This might feel a little uncomfortable and you might get triggered. Just know that that's completely normal. Stay open, stay curious, come with a open heart. And yeah, we just talk about our experience even with money and money mindset. It just can be a whole other ball game from what is talked about in the mainstream coaching community. Emily answers really great questions like, why are your programs and coaching containers so white? How do we include more humans of color? How do we make them feel more safe? And why is it important to learn from women from different backgrounds and not just have everyone we're consuming information from and investing in and having as mentors to be white? Emily is also really, really passionate about working with white women, so we really invite you, no matter what your background or culture or ethnicity is, to please listen in, especially if you are in the coaching industry. This is the work that we do to make our spaces more loving, more compassionate, more diverse, and you know we're not asking ourselves to be perfect, but just to be open to learning, and I know I definitely was feeling a little nervous about this because, you know, I want to say the right things. I want to be inclusive of others and to not hurt anyone, you know, and so just really coming in and knowing that we are having compassion for each other and love for each other. The only announcement that I have is our Sayulita Breathwork Retreat in March 2023 our bungalow rooms are already halfway full so if you are interested in joining us in the new year it's going to be amazing we're going to have ice baths and hypno breath work and breath holds and some somatic experiencing movement with my best friend Maggie we haven't announced it officially but she's going to be doing some somatic work with us as well as some movement maybe yoga we'll see Um, but it's going to be so incredible I'm so excited to have her my best friend by my side and my boyfriend by my side Oh my gosh, it's going to be incredible. If you guys haven't seen the venue or the retreat center yet, you have to look it up. It's so gorgeous. It's going to be a life-changing experience, so I would love for you to come and join us. But now to introduce, Emily Ann Bryant is an indigenous author, speaker, and mentor working at the intersection of personal development and decolonization. Emily helps women of the global majority, formally referred to as Black, Indigenous, people of color, manifest deeply fulfilling soul expression, success, and wealth. She also works with white coaches who want to be better allies and decolonize their businesses so they can foster a community where we can all truly rise together. Welcome to the show, Emily and Bryant. Hello. Hey. Hi, Emily. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So good to hear you. Do you want to talk yeah. about our experiences just being, yeah. you know, women of color and coaching containers and our experiences? And maybe we can just start out by 
sharing how we met. We met in a mastermind together. And like I was sharing with you earlier, um, you know, it was my first time investing a lot of money and um, I'm not sure if it was how you felt, you know, going into that, or if it was, if you've spent a lot of money in coaching before. Mm -hmm. It was not my first time it was, but it was, uh, it was still a big deal for sure. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. a very big deal, but I had done a similar level mastermind, similar level investment one time before. Um, but you still get, you still get those like freakouts, the nervous system, all of that when you're spending such an amount of money on, on, on yourself and on coaching, which we know as, you know, indigenous people and, and BIPOC or people of color, it's, it's kind of like a whole different ball game because of all mm -hmm. the extra layers, the money stories and things that can come up. But yeah. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that, like for you, how did you get to a point to feel comfortable in like saying yes and like clicking on the link and like sending the payment like what was that like for you to finally feel like it was the right decision yeah um I think for me it's just it was a strong it, I always get these strong feelings um in my intuition when like I'm meant to be in a certain group or space where I just can't I can't let it go so I'll like wake up thinking about the thing and I'll go to bed thinking about the thing and I'll sometimes even like dream about it. And I like to, now I've learned the lesson of like giving myself some time to sit with it um, versus making an emotional decision in the moment. Um, and this was one of those things that I did. I kind of sat with it for, um, I mean, it felt like a while, but it was probably only like two or three days, but it would not leave me alone. And I would just knew I was supposed to be in there. So um, when I did decide to go for it, like it was terrifying and it didn't make sense. And I was like, what am I doing? But also I, tr I tr built this trust with myself that I've, I've done this before and I can always, you know, make the money back. And I just have built that trust by actually doing it um, and proving to myself that one way or another, like I'll be okay and I'll pay this back. So that's kind of how I came to the Yes. What was it like for you though, especially being your first time investing? Yeah. I know. So thinking back, I'm like, I think I, it was the same thing. Like I reached out, I think she had a poll or something on her story and I reached out and then I just kept wanting more information and the information she was telling me, I was like, okay, like I was sitting with it. And then I kept asking more questions, you know, and I think yeah, it just wouldn't go away. There was just something in my body that was like, oh my gosh, like I need to do this for myself. And it felt really scary, really exciting. I wanted to throw up like all the things at once. I was like, I just found her. Like, I think I just found her. Yeah, same. I had social to. media. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad that I, that I did it. And I love that you mentioned like, so making an emotional decision versus sitting with it for a while. Like I know there's like quite a few coaches that say like, Oh, nothing changes within 24 hours. So like do mm. it now, like make the decision now. And sometimes no. I'm like, I get that. And like, I've believed that before too, but like, also I think it depends on where you're at, like with your nervous system, with your yes. experience, your relationship with money. But also like when you, sometimes I do get also, like if you do sit with it for too long, like if you aren't, 
working on your emotional intelligence or yeah. like strong in like who you are and your confidence, like every day that goes by, you can, I can see how you can also be like, no, well this and that you like make up all these excuses and like yeah. keep pushing it away. So like, I get both sides, but like, I'm curious, like what you think yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. Same. I see both sides, but I do see a lot of that, um, that push in the industry where it's like, do the thing that doesn't make logical sense. And there's all this pressure around like doing the illogical thing because supposedly like your intuition never makes logic logical sense and you just have to follow it and it makes sense later. Um, and that's true. Our intuition's not logical, but sometimes it's like, is it, <laughs> is it not logical because it's our intuition or is it not logical because it's not logical? It's not the right decision for me at this time. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for my nervous system. It's not healthy. And that coach is just pressuring me by saying, I'm pressuring everyone by saying, you have to do the things that don't make sense. You have to, you know, quantum leap first and invest crazy amounts. And I invested this, this X amount. Um, and then I made, you know, 50 times my money back in two weeks or whatever happened for them. Like everyone's journey mm -hmm. is different everyone's nervous system is in a different place. And especially what we see, um, which I'm excited to talk with you about today is the ignoring of how those of us who are um, from the global majority, which is a term to replace BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, because we actually make up the global majority, yet we're still treated like minorities. Um, mm -hmm. Those of us <laughs> from the global majority, we have more, trauma naturally like in our dna in our bones and our nervous systems can be more um like they can go into shock more easily and they can go into distress more easily or they might already be in those states um and that's so just completely ignored and not talked about in this industry almost at all and especially when it comes to making decisions around investing that's something we just don't consider like cultural influences trauma um very real actual 3d barriers as well like i work in um indigenous health research and seeing like coming face to face with the actual facts about our poverty levels our homelessness levels um food insecurity job insecurity like these are things i can't unsee but so many people choose not to see them or choose to say like they don't matter and mindset and energy is all that matters but um there really is actual barriers to wealth barriers to health like barriers to basic education that are also at play too that don't get talked about so i think like every person is different and these are all factors that need to be considered from both the person selling and the person who's buying yeah, I love that. And I guess a little disclaimer for both of our audiences, like, you know, I'm half white and then you're also, we're both pretty white passing. So like yeah. we love, mm -hmm. we accept all, you know, humans of color and we're not wanting to downgrade anyone's experience and say that we don't like white people or something like that. I like don't want that to come across at all. Um, but yeah, just yeah. that how, you know, people from other backgrounds can be less privileged right and yeah I love that you mentioned that and like how do we how do we include more humans of color you know in our containers because I will be honest like the few, first few spaces that I had 
um, in my group programs, you know, I, I did notice that I was like, oh my gosh, everyone in my space here is white. And, you know, granted I was just starting out, maybe I, there were some language that I could have used to be more inclusive, but I remember noticing that and be like, I really want women, like even specifically, I'm really feeling called to work with more Filipino women because mm -hmm. I'm half Filipino. And, you know, I think the more I speak about it, the more I, I've received those kind of clients. Right. right. But I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I know, I know personally, like what that culture is like and like what that upbringing is like to hear certain phrases and like how much of the money mindset work there is in that. So yeah, yeah I guess I'm just like, how do we be more welcoming and more including yeah. of, of other women of color? Yeah, I mean, so this is a huge question and this is literally the work that I'm doing now um, because I'm, I'm so passionate about it. But I think, first of all, like to answer your question, if, if you are, you know, you're Filipino and just you talking about that more is going to obviously bring more Filipinos or even Asians who see themselves in you or people who are mixed race, like if you're talking about um, being mixed or even things like I've started talking more about how I'm white passing or I'm half white and I'm half indigenous and there's people who are they're not indigenous but they're mixed race and they're like oh my gosh I see myself in you thank you for talking about it and like how can I work with you or like do you want to come on my podcast how can we collaborate and like I think that's why you and I are having this conversation right now too is because you connected to a lot of what I was saying about you know being indigenous being a person of the global majority and navigating this industry feeling underrepresented so it's like first of all be the representation um, that you want to see and just speak about it more but if you're if you're listening to this and you're white so you're like well I can't <laughs> I can't represent and I can't pretend to represent because I am white um, then how do you do this so there's a lot of things you can do the bar is really so low rave it's kind of sad like the bar is actually quite low literally yeah I've noticed you... and I want to say like whoever is listening you need to go look at Emily's page because I mean I was like dang your posts are spicy but it like <laughs> they it are was, spicy. like every, it was like what <laughs> I've been like thinking it's like I what mm, I noticed yeah. it was like you are brave enough to say the thing and like in such a loving way though, you know, like it's eye-catching, but it's also like in such a compassionate, you know, heartfelt way that I, it really stood out to me. And that's why I reached out to you to do a podcast together. Cause I'm like, wow, like I am so open to learning and I'm so noticing that in, in these spaces. And, you know, like, I really want to make sure we have diversity and you're really leading the way, which I'm so proud of you. And like, so in all of you and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, this is what I this is what I share all over my page, and I have I have a two and a half hour uh, masterclass called the Roundtable, where I literally invited. Um, you can purchase the replay. I invited white coaches and people in the community from um, like in the coaching world who are also in the global majority, um, and we had a panel, and I gave a, like an over an hour long presentation on specifically like how white dominance and white supremacy and colonization shows up in coaching and what we can do like actual tangible steps that you can do as a coach 
to make your spaces more inclusive and supportive. So like, obviously we don't have time to cover every single thing here, but like I was saying, the bar is literally so low because so few people are thinking about it and doing it that literally, even if a coach took like five minutes out of their day and acknowledged their white privilege or highlighted an issue for the indigenous community or just even mentioned something like call us in by name mentioned something about um you know her sisters and brothers in the global majority um maybe it's offering some type of scholarship but that also has to be backed with the coach doing their own unlearning and and, and learning to understand why that's important to understand like the barriers that really do exist um, and how they can, how do they are actively playing a role or how they can play a role in being part of the solution. Um, so it's like, there's learning, there's three pieces. There's the mindset and the coach doing their own learning and unlearning and relearning. And then there's words, there's the words you speak. They hold a lot of power. They're gonna make a big difference in who feels safe and comfortable working with you and who does not. And I'm telling you as an indigenous person, when you come to my page, like I'm telling you, um, and Rave can tell you the types of things that make us feel safe or not safe. Um, so listen to those of us who are telling you. And, and then action, like, are you, are you putting things into action? So are you putting things like scholarships out there? Are you actively going out of your way to hire people in the global majority? Or did you, did you not even stop to notice and you just keep hiring white team members and more white mentors and white VAs and white photographers? Um, or are you actively seeking out people in the global majority, paying, pay them what they want and then tip them, you know, like be generous, be, be part of this solution. And um, it, all of those things will show and you will start to attract a much different, more diverse audience. And that's something everyone should want to tap into. Cause like I said, we're the global majority. We're, we're over 80% of the population. So why would you not want to tap into that market? It just it just makes good business sense and that's funny because i always think of myself as you know we say i'm the minority, minority. yeah <laughs> well i guess that's how it is and in, in, i was went to a private school and like you know the friends that i right. have i'm always like oh my gosh everyone around me is white and i'm the minority but i guess we get so used to saying that but when you put it that way like 80 percent, oh my gosh we really are the majority the global majority so, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting to think of it like that. And what you're saying about scholarships, I want to talk about that a little bit because I that yeah. I still offer that. And it's something that I I'm not really sure like how what you think about it and like what's the right way to go about it because I will be honest, and I've talked yeah. about this on my podcast before is the way that I actually got into coaching was I received a scholarship. And I, there was this breathwork coach and she was doing like a, I remember like four or five month program and we were messaging in the DMs and like, she sent me the price and I was like, oh, okay, like I could probably do that. And I thought it was the price for the whole program, but it was actually the price per month. Per month. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I almost like wanted to throw up. I was like, what? Like, are you? And she's like posting, like, it's almost like 80% sold out. There's two spots left. And I was like, what? Like, who are people paying? It blew my mind because I, yeah. I've never been in the coaching industry before. This was like early before 2020, I think. And I was just like, mm -hmm. what? Like, who the hell is paying for this? Like, what kind of, who the hell does she think she is? And I was like going through all these thoughts and like, I just thought it was insane, you know? And then 
I like, I like responded to her. I honestly, I was like, oh, wow. I really thought that that was the whole price. Like, I, I really don't think I can afford that. I was so honest. I was like, you know, and also having a Filipino mother and like who works her butt off to, you know, she's the only one that made it here from the Philippines. And she sends like a percentage of her money to the Philippines. Like that's like a part of the, you know, stereotype of like a Filipino, but it's pretty true. And I, I also heard growing up, like, that's too expensive. That's a lot. Like we're used to like going to Costco and like buying in bulk. So it's cheaper. Like that's yeah. like, any Filipino listening is probably like, mm, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it's just so funny. Like even like my mom still like, she'll come here and I'm like showing her, like I'm getting off birth control right now. And I'm like getting these supplements and buying these books. And like, you know, I'm really talking about like regenerative agriculture and getting your meat from like, you knowing where you source your meat from. And like, you know, it's, it's more expensive, but she's like, this just must be so expensive. And I'm like, mom, but like what you put in your body should be quality, not like cheap. If it's going to be cheap, you're going to look at, you have all these health problems. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I could go on and on, but back to the um, mastermind group that I first joined. um, It was so sweet. I don't know if she did this intentionally or if she just sent it to me but like literally the price that I said I could afford like a few days later I got an email saying like whatever percent off scholarship and it was like the price that I said I could afford and I I like take that to heart whether she meant it for me or actually Mm -hmm. did it for her whole community I was like I said I could afford that and like maybe she just did that for me and I'm like and I was like heck yeah I'm gonna do it and like I felt so I sent an application I filled out this whole thing and I remember receiving the, you know, you got, you got it. And I was like, oh my God, I was so excited. And like, I've never been in a space like that before. And I always look back to her and I'm like, thank you so much. Yeah. Like, I appreciate that so much. And, and I remember the first call, like I was the only Brown person. Like every, there was like 20, 30 people in mm-hmm. this group program and everyone yep. was white. And, you know, from Europe and Australia as well. But I was just like, whoa, like I am the only brown person. And I'm just thinking like, holy crap, all of these people easily could afford this. Like maybe not easily. I don't want to assume that. But I was like thinking it was insane yeah. to spend that kind of money. And, and all of these people were just in it. And then I, I also heard going along that they were in all their programs and multiple programs and receiving this and receiving that. And, receive- and I was like, what? Like, I just had no idea you know? So I'm curious, like, how do we empower um, women of color, humans of color to be in these spaces, you know, with scholarships, but also like empowering them that like, you know, I think back then maybe I could have actually afforded it, but my mind didn't think I could, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a beautiful story. I love that, you know, that scholarship opportunity was kind of your in to this whole experience, this whole industry. And then you started to build that trust with yourself, right? You're like, I did invest in myself. Yes, I got a scholarship, but it was like, it was still probably the most that you could invest at that time or that you could conceive of investing and you learned how to stretch yourself, right? So it just, I love your story because it highlights how much a scholarship can do for one person. Um, And that's so sweet that that coach did that. And she was integrity. It sounds like like her program actually really was full of lots of people. She wasn't just like BSing, oh, it's 80% full. It literally was. And she still offered you a scholarship or offered a scholarship. I think that's beautiful. 
I forget what the question was. <laughs> I think, oh yeah. So how do we like, is it okay to give scholarships? I oh. guess like for our listeners, like, is that appropriate? Is that oh, okay? Yes. Like, and then yeah. also how can we empower them to like, I don't know, or can we, or is that just something they have to figure out? Like I had to figure out, you know, because I still mm-hmm. have people in my DMs. Like I have a friend um, that I used to go to college with. She's Filipino. I'll just give this story because someone might resonate with this. And it reminds me of me in that moment yeah. because she said, I really want to work with you. But like when I, when I become rich and get a lot of money, I'll, I'll, I'll hire you as a coach. And I'm just like, okay. Like I, I know what she's saying, but like, and then these, some of these people I see that they, they don't have, they don't have any money. You see them going out to eat and like, you know, yeah. going to festivals and like, I, I know you have money, babe, you know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, they yeah. don't see that that's valuable to spend money on. Right. But I'm like, I know you're getting a coffee every morning. You're drinking every morning, every, every weekend. Like that's a lot of money when you add all that up. But yeah. I think at that place in my life before I thought the same thing, you know, I was mm. spending money every weekend, but not on things yeah. like a mastermind or a coach. Yeah. So sometimes, uh, definitely. Yes. I think I have a whole post on like BIPOC scholarship, yay or nay. Are they empowering or offensive? (laughs) Like, how do we offer them? How do we do it tastefully? So I have a whole post on my Instagram that breaks this down, but the short answer is yes, absolutely. I think they're so, they're so needed. They're so meaningful. I've used, you know, used one multiple times, um, and so, so, so appreciated it. Um, I've had them given to me, like no questions asked, and it just feels so, um, so awesome to be held like that and immediately like trusted by someone that you haven't even worked with yet. But they're like, yes, like no questions asked, you know, here it is, pay what you can or pay this amount. Um, And for those people who currently they think they don't have the money but they really probably could prioritize it i think that's just kind of their own journey to be on journey to be on um but perhaps like if you did say okay well i know um you know i know how it is i know there are real barriers that exist i know everyone's financial situation is different so here is some scholarships and and still i would have like an application process um, because if someone's not even willing to fill out an application and take, you know, five minutes out of their day, they're not, are they really going to like show up and actually do the work? Um, probably not. And I would still also charge something. I wouldn't let anyone in completely freaks. I do believe in energetic exchange and reciprocity. Um, but maybe if that person says, oh, okay, well, maybe on a scholarship, then I could see myself investing in myself in this type of thing that I'm brand new to. Maybe that is going to be, you know, like what happened to you where you got a taste of it and you saw the power of coaching and you saw the power of this industry and investing in yourself in that way. And you learned it on your own. So that scholarship, you never know, that might be somebody's um, kind of ticket to entering this whole world and betting on themselves and investing in their own growth. Cause it is, it is a big thing, especially um, in, in the global majority communities too, is like, we're all about community wellness and taking care of our family and taking care of others. Like you said, your mother sends money to the Philippines. And that's like the, that's the values most of us are raised with. Like you don't, you don't focus all on your individual self, like personal development, self-help, self-growth. That's like very individualistic. Um, and so many of us are from cultures that don't value that we value community and connection, but I think coaching 
And growing yourself actually can lead to beautiful connection, can lead to beautiful soul community. Um, if, if coaches are willing to be in right relationship with each other, with clients. And I think offering different price points, decolonizing our pricing by offering like either a sliding scale, pay what you can, or a certain amount of scholarships. I think that's one way that we can all be in healthy, right relationship with one another. So yes, I'm a yes, big yes for scholarships. But I think also the energy with which you offer them, it matters. And if you're just offering scholarships and that's it, you're not doing any other unlearning and decolonization work um, and understanding and leaning in and getting compassionate and hearing people's stories, you're just doing it to do it. You'll find that no one signs up still or they do and they just don't even finish your programs. I mean, that's because the infrastructure is not there in your business so that people of color and indigenous people can actually see themselves succeeding in your program and in your world. Because if we don't have self-belief, we just, we, I mean, coaches would call it self-sabotage. Like we just won't, we won't foot finish. We won't show up, right? But if you have a role to play in this too, if the infrastructure of your business is not there, where people feel represented, they feel safe, they feel seen, they feel supported, they feel like success is possible for them in your programs, then your completion rates are going to be a lot higher too. So yeah, it's not just the scholarship. There's a lot else that has to go with it. But like we've been talking about, it's like the smallest tweaks and taking the tiniest bit of time out of your day to acknowledge us, call us in by name and make room for us, um, you know, at your table, so to speak. I love that. Could you give a, an example of what you mean by call us in by name? Oh yeah, for sure. So um, for example, if you're marketing a program and you're, uh, so from my lens as an indigenous person, I've worked with many, many um, white mentors, many white female coaches over the last three plus years that I've been a coach. And over the last 10 years that I've been in this world of personal development, law of attraction, all this stuff. And I didn't even notice truly, like I didn't even really notice all oh, my mentors are white. This whole industry is so white. Um, Cause I became very white. I became very assimilated and kind of like shut down my um, indigenous, like this whole huge part of me, um, even though I was born and raised on a first nations reserve, like my family all still lives there. I have strong connections to the, to the community and the culture, but um, it just got easier to do life navigating white spaces. And so in the past, I wouldn't have even noticed this stuff. But once I realized, oh, there's this huge piece of me affecting my self-worth and it's related to my identity and it's related to the racism and the oppression and the trauma and all the things I've experienced for being Indigenous and all the things my ancestors have experienced that I'm carrying with me. And then once I realized this was something I needed to heal, um, I noticed it was a lot harder to feel seen and supported in these spaces where I had previously just been basically acting like any other white woman. And now I notice, and I can't unsee it, that every single coach who's just like selling another program, another white woman selling a program, I'm like totally uninterested, unfazed, unless I see them 
speak to me and call me in by name and I know that their program is going to have at least an element of decolonization or anti-racism to it. So what I mean by call us in by name is like say things like Latina, Latino friends, um, Asian friends, South Asian friends, Indigenous friends, Black friends, I see you. I want to support you. I want to do what I can to make sure this program is safe and supportive for all of us. These are the things we're going to do to make sure um, that you're supported here. These are the things I have in place. I'm, you know, always learning and growing, but like, I, I want to call you in. I have a space here for you, or I have this scholarship here for you, or um, bringing in this guest speaker to help you specifically with the ancestral pain and the healing and the things that I, as a white woman, do not know how to address, but want to make sure that you're supported. Something like that. Like, it's not that hard it's just there's no mentioning of it and so when there's no mentioning of it like the silence is just upholding the the idea that like white is just the default and that's just how it is and I know it's just going to be another space where nothing's being dismantled or talked about um even though it's being sought by like you said us women of color and indigenous people um so it's like a simple yeah, it's the simple acknowledgement comes back to the words piece of that mindset, words, and action. Decolonization is three piece. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you so much for explaining that. And I think what comes up for me, and I'm sure this is maybe super real for a lot of other coaches as well, or white coaches, is like this fear of like you might say the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. So like what even came up for me, it was like, oh, like I would love, I'm thinking of this girl, a few women who have reached out to me and they're Asian. Like if I were to say, I have a, a scholarship for Asian women that are, that have never been in the coaching space before I have a scholarship for you. Would that be wrong? Like, I guess for me, I'm like, Ooh, would that be excluding black women or indigenous women if I'm just saying Asian women or do I do I have to say all women of color and indigenous you know what I mean like I'm like I but I guess my heart is like oh I really want to work with you know Filipinos specifically and Asian women because I don't see that in this space at all I mean there's like Simone yeah. Seal right yeah <laughs> like I don't know yeah but I'm like then I'm like oh my god am I being racist you know what I mean like is that mm -hmm. bad no so like, I think that's what holds me back because I'm like, I would love to empower them and I would love to, you know? So I'm, I guess like what I think is if, if a black woman saw that was like, oh, wow, she's giving that to them and not me or like would, and again, I'm worried about what people think. Right. So that's my own yeah. thing too. But I guess just like, how can we be as compassionate and open-hearted in, in something like that? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think if you're passionate about it, you need to follow that. And um, like people do exclude people all the time. It's just not outwardly named. Like there are all white programs. There, all, there are all white yoga events. There are all white retreats. They're just not being called that. So what's wrong with saying, I'm really passionate about uplifting other Asian women and I don't see enough of us represented in this industry. So I'm going to do my part in healing that there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I've seen indigenous only programs for TikTok creators. Um, 
you know, indigenous only writing programs and scholarship programs, and you don't see um, the black and brown community getting all mad and saying you're leaving us out because they understand sometimes yes we are all like those of us in the global majority or BIPOC or whatever you want to call us we do have um we do have a lot in common in that we share very similar oppression right we share very similar pain and, and racism and being left out and being othered but we're not sometimes we do have unique needs we're not all you know we shouldn't always all be lumped in to one thing especially when someone like you has the the um expertise and the the specialty to know like exactly you know exactly how their like filipino mom is going to respond when they say that they're investing in themselves that other people won't get and i think like if you put something like that out there you would have so many people because it's so specific be like oh my god thank you rave i feel seen this is amazing and i think it would really do great things i think it'd be beautiful yeah thank you yeah that was something i've been thinking about for a while so maybe i will implement that and share that but just to normalize like you know where we are today it definitely was a journey with money and our relationship with money and investing like what did yeah. you hear growing up about money because like i mentioned i'm like going to costco that's too expensive <laughs> like, yeah you have to save. Mm -hmm. make sure you're being a nurse so you can have a safe, secure, stable job. I'm like, what? Like, I grew up like hearing that from every auntie, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So but taking a up... leap or a risk was like never like something no. we were taught to do. Never. No, no. So I grew up on a First Nations reserve. It's a Mohawk um, reservation in Southern Ontario. And it's very, um, it's a very isolated, small community as all reserves are. And um, so my dad's Mohawk. My mom is white. She's European settler, but she also grew up um, not super poor, but like they didn't have a lot of money. So she grew up with a lot of scarcity thoughts being projected onto her that she still, even though she has a good stable job, she's a teacher, she does well, like she still has a lot of those thoughts too. And my dad, obviously being, you know, indigenous and having, uh, being in a community that had literally everything stripped from them to the point where they would even depend on um, the white government dropping off flour, sugar, milk. I forget what it was. They call them like the five white gifts to the reserve so that they could like, basically it was like starve, um, we'll withhold your food if you don't listen to um, uh, what we're doing, which is taking your land and breaking another treaty and breaking another promise. It's like, just comply with that or your kids won't eat this week and we won't drop off the flour and the sugar and stuff from the stolen land that we've conquered um, that was yours anyways to live off of. So he grew up very poor um and he's very still very much like hates to waste food hates to waste anything um very careful about spending he's he's an entrepreneur though so fortunately i get my entrepreneurial spirit from my dad and he's always supportive in my ventures but um yeah the community as a whole you hear like just in general things are really really cheap on the reserve like gas is cheaper you know there's cheap smokes not that any of us smoke but in my family but um 
everything's cheap. Clothing's cheap, food's cheap, labor's cheaper. So you expect things to be cheap and people say all the time, like, holy, that's expensive. Everything's expensive. Um, so it is really a, it is a deeply ingrained like cultural thing too. Um, to expect to be paid less because as, and this is a real, this is where we get into like real actual 3D barrier stuff too, um, not just mindset, like indigenous people, people do expect to pay them less for their labor, for their work, for their services, right? There's, there's still the wage gap from um, eight, like 80 cents to a dollar for women. That's for white women though. And then for indigenous, Latino women, women of color, it's 50 and 60 cents for every 80 cents that a woman makes. So like, yeah, artwork's supposed to be cheaper. Your labor's supposed to be cheaper. Everything you can't, you can't charge. Like what I charge now for coaching and what I have charged for programs, it was, it was like, they would think I'm nuts if I told them. I don't even tell the people in my community what, you know, the kind of rates that I've charged. Um, but I also moved away from the reserve. I live in the city now and I find that that is a big thing that my energy does better here. And I feel like more things are possible when I'm here in the city versus if I were to live back home, I think I would get caught up in that, that mentality again of like, oh, everything has to be cheap. That's expensive. No one has money. No one can afford that because that is the reality there. So environment really does... Um, play a role and I had to do a lot like I said I've been in this world of personal development and mindset and all of this for 10 years so I've had to do a lot of my own um, programming around it and I think I'm more sensitive to the needs of indigenous people and people of color because of my own lived experience like I get it and real actual barriers exist and you're not crazy and it's not all in your head and um it's not just about energy and mindset. There are like real things we need to consider too. Beautiful. Yeah. And maybe just to close out with one more topic is um, why is it so important to learn from women from different backgrounds? Like I, I'm curious, like your thought on this, like for me, I think I, I don't know where this was from, but somebody said something like, look around at your friends who you're learning mm -hmm. from the spaces you're in. And if everybody looks the same, you need to get new friends <laughs> or something yeah. like that. I was like, dang, dang. Like, all my friends are white. Oh my God, <laughs> I love you so much, but why are all my friends white? And me and my boyfriend talk about this all the time and he's white, you know, and he's like, man, yeah, why, why are all of our people white? And it's something we really want to work on and be, you know, just putting that intention, that prayer out there um, to be more welcoming, more inviting and to di diversify the activities we do as well. But, you know, I think there's something to say about even the books we're reading yeah. and mm -hmm. our coaches because we're only getting one mind viewpoint if it's like all white people it's like coming from a viewpoint of privilege right yeah. so mm -hmm. that's something I'm trying to do more is like finding more books of people of color even just yeah. that simple thing but I'm curious for you like why do you think it's so important for us to learn from different backgrounds yeah that's a great step with the books it's it's everything to to learn from people with from you know from different backgrounds to expanding your friendship circle um you know changing the people you like you said who you're reading 
who you're, whose books you're reading, who you're learning from, whose podcasts you're listening to, um, and who you're mentoring with. It's so important because we don't know what we don't know, right? And this is all of us. All of us have have to heal from the effects of colonization, um, and it's been baked into all of us, all of us, including those of us um, in the global majority. And we, we don't know what we don't know. So if you're always just in circles where everyone looks and thinks like you, you're never going to disrupt and challenge your own thinking and learn anything new um, or see things from other people's perspective, which especially if you're in the coaching world um, and you're in business of any kind, like it's so invaluable to have that different perspective. It's never gonna make you an expert just because you have a more diverse group of friends, right? Whatever diverse even means. It's never going to make you an expert, but it's going to open your eyes to so much. And and once you see some of these things, you can't unsee them. But when you're just stuck in your bubble, um, you're not going to grow and you're not going to learn new things. And yeah, you're you're just operating in the world that was built for you. Like literally, um, all colonized countries were built for the comfort of European settlers. How can we make sure that white people feel absolutely comfortable here, safe here. Every single system was built for white people. Um, so you're not even going to notice if you're not, if you're not stepping outside of that, if you're not stepping outside of your own whiteness or looking at your own whiteness, um, it's not going to, it's not going to change. And it's not good for any of us. Um, Cause this, what the colonization did and what this culture created is this like hustle culture, this capitalistic culture, this go, 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 nothing's ever enough, you're not ever enough, and that's to keep you spending money, keep you buying things, um, keep you keep you from doing your own waking up and realizing how unfair the system is, how messed up the system is. They don't, they want you too busy to even look at that. Um, and so it's, it's up to all of us as individuals to look at that. And yeah, one of the ways you can do that is by switching up who you're learning from, who you're listening to. And that's the crazy thing is too, it's even so baked into like the media, the books that become bestsellers that get the most, you know, press that get pushed out there the most. The, they have the, the most main, money. <laughs> yeah, like the people with the most money, the, the main characters in movies, like everything is so mm -hmm. Eurocentric. It's so white and we, we could go without even like, realizing it because it's been like that our entire lives um and yeah. it's changing very 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 slowly but not enough i we noticed that in our own part in movies i'm like i like yeah. if there's like a movie or a show now and everyone's white i'm like what are what is this the 90s like what? literally I'm like, why is there no one? But then there are some shows where there's like a lot of di diversity. I'm like, oh, okay. They're, they're really like, you know, like the main people are people of color too. I'm like, but then yeah. when I see a show that's all white, I'm like, who is the director for the? Oh, yeah, it's a white man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. It is yeah. wild. I, I was telling my boyfriend this too because I think like the best way one of the best ways you can really have empathy for others, you know, is mm -hmm. yeah, like what we're saying, like simple things, books, podcasts, like supporting businesses, hire coaches of different backgrounds. Um, but this is like maybe a little off topic, but 
it's also like I know you're dating someone that's or you're married to someone right that's uh, a different background than you Mm -hmm. yeah and I'm like I joke with him because I'm like all of his friends (laughs) and quite a bit of mine too they're married or dating someone that's also white and I'm like babe like don't you think you've learned so much by being with me and then like I I've explained this to him and to others before but like Mm -hmm. I used to date someone who was half black and half white and I learned a lot by being with him. Like he used to like straighten his hair when he was younger and he would get made fun of for like, mm. people would be like, why are you dressing like a white guy? You're black, like you should be more black. And he'd be like, what? Like I'm black and white. And like hearing those stories of what he went through literally made me so freaking angry and like have so like for the way people tr- treated him, like how could you, you know? And it made me understand him and have so much more empathy for black people and for him and I just it didn't when you really love someone and you date someone and you hear their stories you like you really have this empathy for that culture and that background because you understand from a whole other level and Mm -hmm. a few of my friends have become single and I like joke I joke around I'm like go date someone that's different that doesn't look like you I'm like, don't date someone that looks like your brother. Come on. Yes. Yes. And also like, don't, yeah. Don't like expect that because this, and I know you're not doing this, but a lot of white women expect that to be like their, like that's their cop out. Like I'm not racist. I'm my husband's Hispanic or I dated a black person or like, don't expect them to teach you about your whiteness because that's your job and your job only mm-hmm. to unravel and do that. Um, that's, I just wanted to like throw that in there because that happens that's too. That's so true. Um, and yeah, there's yes. a really good like documentary. Um, it's called Deconstructing Karen um, by mm-hmm. Syra Rao and Regina Jackson. And it's a conversation, it's a dinner conversation with um, a black woman and a South Asian woman who teach about anti-racism to white women specifically. And then a bunch of white women, they sit down and have dinner and talk about race. And some of the things that come out of these white women's (laughs) mouth is just like, uh, it's so frustrating. But then the way that Syra and Regina put them in their place is like, oh, it's cold. It's so good. And I think it's a very health, like everyone learns a lot by the end of it and they unpack a lot and it's just, it's really good. So everyone should try to watch that if they can. Yeah. And it, this work is so uncomfortable, you know, and it's, it's triggering and I'm sure whoever's listening right now has felt a little uncomfortable or felt triggered and just want to reflect that that's just so normal. And I know that comes up for me too, you know, especially being half, I'm like, I like Mm -hmm. feel both ways and I I understand. And it's, it's not easy. Cause like I said earlier, I'm like, Ooh, am I saying the wrong thing? Am I like bringing this up? Am I like going to get like shamed or canceled for this? (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I I wanted to touch on that too quickly. It's the fear of saying the wrong thing. Cause I hear that a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I say, frankly, is like, first I hear you, I get it. I'm halfway and white passing. I probably have said the wrong thing. I, I will say the wrong thing because I can never mm-hmm. know what it's like to be a black or brown person or be in a black and brown body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And also, <laughs> if your greatest fear is that you're going to be called performative or you're going to be, you know, called out for doing, saying something wrong, like, frankly, we, I've been called worse 
as an indigenous person, I've been called an alcoholic, I've been called lazy, I've been called useless to society, like black people have been called worse, brown people have been called worse. If your worst fear is being called performative or being told that you didn't say something properly and you're not nice, like get over it. Cause there's just bigger yeah. issues at play. There's much bigger issues at play. And for me and for like people in our community, when we say something, um, there's actual safety on the line. There's a fear of I'm not physically safe, but you in a white privileged body don't have that. Your worst fear is not being liked on the internet. It's being called mean. It's being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. like get over it, frankly, because there's just, there's so much more at stake. And, and this, this toxic like colonial culture, it really harms all of us, not just people in the global majority, but hopefully you care about your fellow humans in the global majority enough to put your own comfort aside and, and say something. Cause it's not the people with it's not people um, who are oppressed who are going to end oppression. It's people with privilege and power. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. You nailed that. Cause I I've mentioned that before too, in conversations like, yeah, we need more white people to be by our side, you know, especially because they do yeah. have the privilege and they might have more money and they, you know, all of that. And they have the voice or the platforms right and it, yeah. it brings me back to the whole uh, will smith thing that happened how he was like on stage and slapped that guy or whatever because of what he said about his wife um i remember like i love glennon doyle i have her books i like listen to her podcast but she like put something on social media and got like a bunch of uproar i don't know if you remember seeing this I didn't and then elaine <laughs> okay so good <laughs> elaine i forgot her name what her name is beautiful black woman elaine some i don't know her last name i think i follow her on instagram but she is also um very well known in media and stuff like that and she commented on glennon doyle's post and was like this is your time to like listen to black people right now and like it's so true because like everybody, if Glennon Doyle has this huge platform and you go to her and you say, what is, she, I think unconsciously we go, what does she say about this? Like, you know, yeah. she's the thought leader and she's a writer and she's very well known. What does she think about this? And here she is saying, oh, violence is never okay. Da, 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 da. And, you know, I get that viewpoint, but like, I loved that Elaine said that and was like, this is not your time. You know, this is your time to listen and your time to like yeah. give black people a platform to speak about this right now and hear about what they think about it. And, yeah. um, and then Glenn Doyle responded and she was like, you're right. Like, this is my time to listen. And which I think is so amazing. She's yeah. an example to other white women. I'm like, versus her getting all like starting a fight or something like that. Yeah. And I thought that was so powerful because it's like, she's setting this example for other white women and it really is like, here, let's give the microphone to Elaine right now. What does she have to say about this? Yeah. And like going back to like having, you know, diverse spaces that we're in, it's like hearing other people's opinion about things. It's like, I'm mm -hmm. so, I, I, like, I always notice that like, and at least in some of my group of friends, like there, a lot of white people have a lot to say when I'm like, this isn't your experience. <laughs> let's like be quiet for a yeah. second and hear what somebody else has to say you know and so yeah yeah I think that's just so important and I think I have to remind myself of that too is like okay let's pause and let's listen to someone else who has this ex life experience that I don't you know and I'll never yeah. really understand yeah that's the other thing too is if you don't know what to say like great just 
pass the mic, use your platform and invite someone on who does know what to say, who is an indigenous person, who is a person of color, like just pass the mic. You don't always have to be the authority, the expert on everything. We have this like idea that's so baked into and indoctrinated um, into white people that they, (laughs) their voice matters above all else. And that we have to be experts on everything. No, just, yeah. Also no one to pass the mic. I think you said that in your workshop that we don't have privilege that runs through us. And that really stood out to me. I was like, wow, like the whole, like being in a group space. And like, I know in the mastermind we were in, I'm not the one to go first. I'm not usually the one to raise my hand. Yeah, And that's because I don't feel like I have that privilege that doesn't run through my DNA. Whereas like a white person, they have that privilege, right? Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, the white entitlement. <laughs> Actually, my yeah. shout out to my mentor currently right now, Asha Frost. She taught me this concept of white entitlement. And she was like, well, yeah, like white, she's an indigenous um, mentor. She was like, white people have literally entitlement of taking up space and taking taking what they want. It literally runs in their DNA. Like their ancestors knew how to take up space. They took what was theirs and then some lots things that aren't theirs it's in there they know how to so when when a mentor says like yeah just jump in when you want support or like just believe in yourself you're worth it you can take a space you can charge this charge your worth make it happen you can see white women take that and run with it and they thrive and they do amazing but for those of us who don't have that entitlement in our dna we have trauma and oppression and being told you're not physically even worthy of living because of the genocide and um, the land theft and the cultural theft and the stripping away of our spirits, like literally that's what's in our DNA. So of course we have more layers to work through before we can step into that health, healthy entitlement. Cause it's not entitlement in a bad way necessarily. Entitlement can be a good thing, but it's um, finding that healthy sense of entitlement. And I think that's something really important for white coaches to understand is that your, your students, your clients who are not white, um, or who are mixed race, they they won't have the same ability to step into that that you do. Um, and that's your job to lean in with compassion, to invite them to explore that and to bring in people who can support that um, better wherever you can. Because it's a huge, it's a huge piece. We can't move forward without it. I love that. Even just such a simple thing as instead of just, oh, whoever wants to go, just jump on in. Because <laughs> I, yes, I, hate, I that. hate that. It makes <laughs> my skin crawl. I'm like, no. And then I end Same. up like being last or not going at all. Not going. I'm like, oh God. And then I feel bad about it. I'm like, why can't I just like, you know, be the one yeah. that you know inserts myself and I don't like doing that. And I think something that I've been trying to implement more is um just calling on people and if you don't want to go that's fine like just say yeah. you know pass or whatever but um yeah. even though it is kind of like oh my name's being called i think that's i've noticed in my groups that that seems to go over a little bit more where they yeah. have that invitation right yeah yeah the one i'm in now it's like a circle and she'll just go by what order we appear on her screen so we can't see when we're next but it's kind of good because then you're not sitting there thinking about like when am I going to be able to jump it when am I going to get my turn you're just listening and you're actually it's more like a circle where you're actually giving other people their turn calmly knowing you are going to get a turn on this call you can relax and you don't have to like fight to get your money's worth or like fight to get your time because you know that coach is going to sit in healthy circle with you and you're all going to get your chance to speak it's so much better 
Yeah. I love that. Wow. This conversation <laughs> was so powerful. And again, if you're feeling triggered, if you're feeling like this is a little uncomfortable, I think that's good. Cause I think throughout this yeah. conversation too, I have felt that and that's completely normal. And I think that's a part of doing the work. Right. Oh yeah. I trigger people every day in my world. So <laughs> if you're feeling triggered, just lean into that. I invite, it's an invitation to lean closer. It's not a push. It's not a separation. It's not a pushing you away. It's not hate. It's an invitation to lean closer and to lean in with love. Yeah. And being willing to hear like, Hey, maybe you could do it this way instead, or some criticism, you know, and just coming in always with an open mind and open heart and how mm -hmm. can we just ultimately have more compassion for each other? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So how can people find you and work with you? You want to share oh. your Instagram or yeah. what's the best way for people to find you? Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm over on Instagram at Emily Ann Brandt and it's Ann with an E. Um, and my website's emilyannbrandt.com. But really like most of my stuff's on Instagram. So that's probably the best way to connect with me if you're on there and if not then yeah there's the website or there's my podcast the soul's way podcast i'll make sure this episode goes up on there as well and um rave if you want to share your links i'll i'll also put them on my podcast too perfect yeah the best way to reach me and see what i'm offering right now is just at my instagram at rave r-a-v-e underscore read r-e-i-d so yeah Thank you so much. I appreciate you. you. Even though you're feeling a little you. under the weather, this conversation <laughs> was like, boom, powerful, potent, everything it needed to be. Thank you. Thanks for being willing to have it with me. If this episode served you, please share, send it to someone. It could help them heal or create a new perspective in their life. I love when you share on social media, take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram, rave underscore read. And if you feel called to share something you learned or loved from this episode, it would mean so much to me. And please reach out to me personally, send me a message and let me know how this is resonating with you. Thank you so much for your support. Consider subscribing to this podcast, leaving me a five star review so we can continue to grow and up level together. I appreciate you and see you in the next episode.